Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing very well. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. So Chris is the CEO and president of Pegasus Resources. And um, fascinating story on how you became CEO. I figured maybe why don't we start there? Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, well, my story actually starts here on uh, Twitter, X as we call it these days. Uh, I've always been interested in investing. And of course, I got into the investing side of things back in 2008 uh, when the crash happened. Uh, it sparked my interest and it started a decade-long learning curve for me that I started back in 2008. Uh, in 2018, I decided I wanted to get a little more involved in the community. And I started a Twitter account here. And that Twitter account, I then over the years, built a network of people, friends, you know, people I follow, people that followed me. I just built up that network. And uh, eventually we started investing in Pegasus Resources back in 2019. And through my network and, uh, of course, all the uh, people involved, I ended up uh, moving into the CEO position over that period of time. So it's been quite the journey for me from 2008 as just a you know, guy out there working in the oil patch to... Here we are in 2023, and I'm a CEO of a very exciting uranium story. Yeah, I think that's um, quite a, a great story. I was telling my wife this morning, actually, when we were talking about our day, and I, I was like, you know, he's got a really cool story. And um, what would you say is the, like, what did you get out of Twitter other than a position in CEO? I mean, from an educational standpoint, did you learn a lot about uranium? I learned a lot about investing, uh, not just uranium, but a lot about investing. Um, if you use Twitter right, it's a great tool. I mean, you can meet people, you can learn things, you can share things. So used right, Twitter is a great tool. And, a, and honestly, it's been a huge resource for me personally over the years. Uh, as far as uh, what I've learned from uranium off Twitter, I tend to do a lot of my research myself, and I, I, I like to find the information out myself. But Twitter is great for just keeping track of what's going on with trends and what's hot and all that stuff. So And fresh news. I mean, Twitter is great for fresh news. So yeah. uh, I, I use it all the time for, for its purposes. I do find uh, Twitter is very good for uranium market sentiment and but there's a there, there's a few good handles on there that put some pretty you know uh, up-to-date news and uh, especially if you follow the spot price which leads me to my next point when i was doing some due diligence on the company and listening to some of your previous interviews it seems like you're pretty good at predicting the uh, spot price of uranium because three months ago you mentioned you, you know by by 2024 we probably would see 80 80 bucks a pound and we're already there <laughs> I do follow all the right people and I read all the right articles. So uh, I've been very uh, lucky in that sense. I, I do follow trends and I've been pretty accurate over the years of, uh, you know, being ahead of those trends. I, I know back in 2020, um, I seen that I saw that uranium was starting to catch fire. And in 2021, we all got together and kind of asked Pegasus Resources to start looking into some uranium properties. Because basically, Pegasus had been involved in uranium back in 2018, and I'm, I'm not fresh up on all the stuff that went on back then, so I won't get into details. But they had some really great uranium properties back then in that earlier days. Those properties obviously fell off over the years as the uh, excitement around uranium fell off. But back in 2021, the summer of, 
we have a, a great uh, advisory board here. So we leveraged our advisory board to go out and start looking through some uh, properties for us because we wanted to take Pegasus into the uranium sector. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, things kind of petered off and uh, our, we kind of slowed down. And uh, when that happened, uh, I was asked to step in as the CEO and try to get these projects moving forward. So uh, I came in in February of 2023, and uh, that's what I've been working on since I, I did start as CEO. Okay, let's, um, let's kind of move into the um, capital market side of things and the share structure. When you first you know, started following Pegasus and, and investing in it, did it have the same share structure as it does now or, or probably not, obviously, but can you kind of take me back to where it was and, and where it is now? Sure. Well, you know, like all the junior miners, uh, we, we are constantly raising money. It's just nature of the beast, right? So, I mean, uh, when I first came in Pegasus Resources, we had a share count that was in the, well, in the 150 million range. And, you know, that's fine when you're working and stuff. But with me coming in as the CEO, and we really wanted to refocus this company to let people know we're a 100% uranium-focused company. So we wanted to make this company attractive and get the story out. So part of doing that, making it attractive, we talked to our existing shareholders and prospective new shareholders, and we decided to do a share rollback. So we rolled it back uh, in March of 2023, so about a month after I took over as CEO. And we now have 15.5 million shares outstanding and 22 million shares on a fully diluted basis. So it's a very attractive share structure. And uh, we're out raising money right now to uh, start working these projects. So you've got a new runway, as they speak, uh, with that share count. You've got a lot of opportunity ahead of you to go out there and execute. Um, when it comes to institutional support in the stock, do you have any yet? Are there any funds in yet? Or is this more of a retail thing? We are 70% retail right now. Uh, we've got an investor base around 20% that own like 1% or higher. And then insiders have about 10% of the company as well. So we've got really strong insider ownership. Uh, we've got some really strong shareholders. Uh, we're out right now talking to all the institutions. So we are out looking for those institutional guys. So we'll keep, you know, doing our thing. And people are love talking to us. So we have had no problems getting people to sit down and chat mm -hmm. with us and hear our story. So we think it's only a matter of time till we can really draw in those bigger players. So we'll keep doing our thing and talking to them. And I think as a uranium story catches fire even higher from where it is now, I think we'll see those guys eventually want to take a chance and help Pegasus move forward. I kind of think you have the wind behind your backs right now because I do know that there's some new funds that have opened up uh, in Europe and overseas and internationally when it comes to uranium. Is that accurate? Yeah, no, that's accurate. There's lots of potential out there. And honestly, like the people that were, you know, shy of getting into like the mining side of things, they're they're kind of moving back into that. So I think what we're going to see is over the next coming years, an actual move back into the commodity side. So uranium, obviously, I think is going to be one of the top performers as far as commodities go. But I think we're also going to see some money come into the market in general as far as, you know, the developers and the explorers and the producers. I think that that money is going to start coming in. And with uranium being such a small market, like it is so small. 
that it doesn't take much for this market to catch fire. So if the big money starts moving in here, the fireworks are going to be pretty impressive. Yeah, Rick Rule got me into uh, uranium investing back in 2019, which might have been the lowest of capitulation. I think there was only 28, maybe up to 35 publicly traded vehicles for anyone who wanted to invest or speculate in uranium. I would like to actually see where that is now. I, I bet you that number is maybe doubled. Um, but uh, that, that makes sense. It was a good time then. They start getting, I, I started dipping my toes in. And, um, you know, now when you look at the spot price of uranium, I wonder if it's only just an adjusted itself for inflation. I mean, you know, it's, I don't want to speculate on, on where I think the price could go. I'm not a professional. Um, I do follow it. But really, I think it was 25 bucks back in 2019. Now we're around 80, but inflation in, the, in that time has been pretty significant, as we all know by now. Um, so yeah. are we at a spot price where producers can make money? No. Um, some of them are starting to get close to that. Uh, I saw someone was saying that uh, uranium at 80 is equivalent to back in the, the, the last run of a $56. So uh, depending on how you do your inflation adjustments and all that, we're still quite a ways out. Uh, I think people were, you know, over the summer, everyone's like, oh, $70 uranium. And then, you know, maybe we'll start talking about bringing some production on. And then it kind of creeped up to like, well, maybe at 80. And, and now some of those people are now saying, well, maybe at 90. So it's kind of a moving target as the price seems to come up. What the producers and near-term producers seem to want moves up with it. So we really don't know where this is going to stop before people like the production production comes into the market. So I think I'm gonna, I'm going to agree with a lot of people that we're heading for $100 plus uranium here and that could be as early as 2024 first half yeah it, it it does seem like there's a lot of upward pressures on the spot price which is the biggest incentive for uh producers obviously they they need that spot price to go up um long-term contracts uh we have seen uh, you know uh, utilities going in there and, and buying up long-term contracts now which was a big catalyst for investors i know over the last three years when i would ask investors uh we would do these chemical roundtable calls what are you guys looking for as, as a clear indicator uh, sign that, you know, the, you know, the movement in, in stocks and the spot price, and they said long-term contracts starting to be nabbed up. Would you agree with that? Oh, I'd agree with that for sure. And actually the contracting cycle is just starting. Uh, I think we've had about 145 pounds, 100, 140 million pounds or so contracted this year already. Um, but the actual demand is closer to 180 pounds, 180 million pounds. So um, there's a lot of contracting still going on. And these contracting cycles actually run for years, not months. So with this one just starting, we should see a two, three, maybe longer cycle of uh, uranium buying. But that's not including all the new reactors that are coming into the market. So that number can be really much larger. Uh, I'm seeing estimates that we're going to need 300 million pounds of uranium by 2040. Um, that's a huge shortfall. Like we need to find billions of pounds of uranium if that's the case, like billions to fill in that gap over the years. So uh, there's lots of room for uranium to prices to go up. Uh, we need to find more of it and we need to get the, more processing move back to North America on top of that. Yep. So Chris Timmons is the CEO and president of Pegasus Resources. He's joining us live on uh, X Space. And I just want people to know I did turn off the um, 
uh, uh, the um, comment session is section, sorry, uh, minus 70 do a two hour fast right now. So I'm a little bit uh, foggy, sorry. <laughs> but I turned off the comments and if you have any questions, please just um, DM me and I'll fil filter them through as long as they're kind of on par with where the conversation's going, we'll, we'll get those asked uh, later on. Why don't we move into Pegasus and its projects? Um, obviously you've got a, you know, you picked a great location to go and try to find uranium. Do you want to sort of highlight the projects? Maybe start with um, like save the best for last, if you don't mind. Okay, we can do that for sure. So we have five uranium projects in total. Four of them are located in the Athabasca Basin and the other one's in Utah. So uh, what we have in the basin is we've got our Walston and Bentley, which are on the southeast side. Both those properties have not really seen any exploration. So they're very early days projects and they need all the basic first pass work done. So uh, there's something that we will focus on later on, but our main focus right now is going to be on our, obviously our Pine Channel property uh, and then our Mozzie Lake properties for the Athabasca Basin. And then of course, we're going to, we're doing work down in Utah. So with the Pine Channel property, that's the one that we have that is drill ready. So we have a drill permit for Pine Channel right now. And uh, we want to get out there and start drilling it in quarter one. So we're, we're aiming for February 2024 to start drilling up there in Pine Channel. Uh, the Pine Channel property is actually a, a great property. Uh, infrastructure, we have it. It's, we can drive into this one in the winter. So we're not going to be paying for helicopter-supported drilling, which is a huge cost savings for the company. Not paying for those helicopter supply staff back and forth every day adds up really fast. So we can do some really cost-effective drilling up there. Uh, with the basement being only 60 to 100 meters down, the overburden to get through before we get into the really interesting mineralization is very small. So we can do a 10-hole program with 150, sorry, 1,500 meters of drilling, and it'll be under a million dollars. So it's actually very cost-effective, and uh, it's got great infrastructure. So what we're doing here is that we've taken a lot of historical data that's going back into the, like the 1970s. And then, of course, some work's been done through the years leading up to 2021 when we did our own radon survey in the area. So a radon survey just kind of gives you an idea where the, the higher rate radioactive numbers are on the property. And you can kind of use that to kind of just help fine tune your drill targets. So what we really have here is we have a property that actually has 12 historical drill holes on it that was drilled by Denison Mines back in 1979 to 1981, with the uh, highest uranium number saw was 0.15%. So these are not obviously economical numbers, but they're very good indicators that there's something there. So we're seeing all the indicators that there could be something bigger there. So we're pretty excited about that. So we've done that. We take that historical data. We take the radon surveys and the MEGTEM surveys that have been done over the years. And uh, we're putting together this drill program. So we're pretty excited that uh, with the knowledge we have that there's something on this property. So we're going to get out in this quarter one and, and drill it and see what's really here for uh, uranium. So and then we've got another project up there, which is our Mozzie Lake project. Uh, Mozzie Lake has a historical resource estimate. So this estimate is not uh, compliant with modern day 43101s. But what we want to do here over the spring and summer is go into Mozzie Lake, go do a uh, mapping and sampling program on the property, 
locate some of these historical drill holes that were used to create this uh, resource estimate back in the 1950s and 60s, and then try to bring this into 43101 compliance. So if we can get this resource estimate of 535,000 pounds into a, a compliant resource, then we can go out and try and grow it. So uh, we think there's some real good potential here. It's going to take some work, but we're, that's what we're here to do is work these properties and just really find out what the potential is. So have you, is that all the projects you have? No, I got one more for you. Okay. And uh, it's down in Utah. So uh, Utah is a great state to be in, especially for mining. Uh, they're very mining friendly. They're oil and gas friendly. Getting permits and stuff in this state has not historically been an issue. And we think it's going to stay that way. So what we're doing down here at Energy Sands is we have a project uh, with 36 claims. And we're going to take this, we're going to stake some more land in the area, and we're going to grow this project size by 160%. Now, this project actually has three past producing mines on it. So this property has produced uranium back in the 1950s. 52 tons of uranium was removed from this property through, drill, uh, sorry, through mining with a grade of 0.37%. That's a really healthy grade for the states. Like, that's a great uranium number. Uh, In the Athabasca Basin, average grade is 1%. But down in the states, if you can get anywhere close to 0.5, you're doing very well. So we like the grades that they pulled out historically. So we're going to go in, map this project, see where we want to drill it, put together a prospective drill hole program, and apply for the drilling permit. So ideally, we're going to go into quarter one of 2024 with Pine Channel drill ready and obviously, hopefully the finance is in place to perform that. And we're going to have Energy Sands drill ready. So in the perfect world, we could be drilling Pine Channel this winter and Energy Sands in the summer. So there's not many juniors out there that can say they have two prospective drill programs for 2024. So we think it's a very exciting time for Pegasus investors in general, as well as uh, you know, the industry in gen too, with the way uranium prices are going. All right. So out of all of those projects, which one tickles your fancy the most? Uh, you know, it's like asking me to pick your favorite kid and you get a boy and a girl. Um, Pine Channel is great property, but it's completely different than what we're doing in the States, right? Because, you know, in the Athabasca Basin, you can find those 20% grades. So, Pine Channel has some really upside explosive grade potential. But then you look at Energy Sands and it almost looks like a sure thing just because of all the historical mining that was done on the property. And one thing I forgot to mention about uh, our Energy Sands project, Western Uranium and Vanadium is our neighbor. They're like two miles away from us. They have 4.4 million pounds of uranium on that property just to the north of us to the north and northeast. Uh, Their closest one to us is just a little over a mile and a half, two miles away, and it has 2.24 million pounds, and that's just to the east of our project. So we're a long trend of all their deposits, and uh, like I said, we've had historical mining on it. So to ask me to pick which one is my favorite, it's uh, it's a pretty hard story. I couldn't do it, I think. I just want to hug and hold them both. (laughs) When it it comes to uh, allocating funds for these projects, if I was looking at a pie chart, where would the funds be going? Okay, so what we're doing here is we're going to raise some hard dollar cash. So we're going to raise some non-flow through dollars. So with those non-flow through dollars, we can actually 
obviously fund the actual company operations itself, as well as fund our work at Energy Sands. So we're going to take the hard dollars. We're going to focus on just, you know, obviously paying the bills of the company and working on our Energy Sands project. Now, with the Athabasca Basin project, we can raise flow through dollars. So that's a critical flow through. So it is eligible for the critical flow through, which is a 30% credit to people that partake in these flow through financings. So we're doing a million dollar raise of flow through and all that money will be used on our Pine Channel property and our Mozzie Lake property. So just between the two, the two three projects, we've got basically two, fin two financings on the go to fund those. Um, when it comes to marketing the story, what do you, what, what's in the pipeline for that? Uh, conference wise, have you guys put together a conference, uh, series, uh, you know, a strategy for that? Uh, right now we're just really focusing on brokers and institutions and family offices, but, uh, going into the new year, we do plan to get out and hit the conference circuit. At this point, we don't have any hard plans for that. It's just not really on our radar because we're just really focused right now on uh, just getting the awareness out with the brokers, the family offices, the, the people that will fund us and help move this forward. So that's our main focus right now. But you will see us at conferences through the summer for okay. sure. And obviously you're doing this on, on social media, but I, just so, uh, you, you know, potential new shareholders, if they want to understand the, the CEO's mindset on, on marketing the story, what's your take on, on using social media versus traditional platforms like one-on-one -on -one meetings, conferences, you know, the, the normal um, investor uh, relations, uh, you know, there's sort of two seasons there, right? And and there's a kind of an old strategy on what people would do. I have my own opinion on this, but what's your opinion on how to get the story out? You need a blended look. Like you need to do the in-person meetings. That is a like these brokers and stuff, they're busy people. They're and, and these family offices are busy people. They're not sitting on social media as much as we might think, really seeing what's going on with the uh, uh with these companies. So you need to do that outreach separate. But at the same time, I mean, we all love our retail crowd. Um, that's that was me. I was the retail guy for many, many years. And uh, we need we get our information off social media. We get our information off the billboards. We get our information from the newsletters. So you need a good blend of everything to really get that story out there. Uh, I don't think you need to focus on one thing 100%. You just need to spread it out and around and get as many eyes as you can and get the story out there in whatever way you can. I find social media is actually very financially, it's it's one of the cheaper ways to get the story out there. It doesn't cost the company a lot of money to be active on Twitter, to be active on the bull boards. And I just you just go out and just update your investors and let them know what's going on with the company. And as they realize you're doing that through social media, they'll come, they'll follow you, and then they can keep tabs on what's going on. And of course, you can sign up for our emails at the uh, Pegasus website and get those right into your inbox whenever news hits the wire. So there's a, I think it's a blend at the end of the day. Uh, you just need a healthy blend and uh, not focus 100% on one side of the store, on one side of the uh, marketing. Yeah. Do you have any webinars in place on like a quarterly basis to uh, yet to update shareholders? It's something we're looking at doing uh, again right now. We're kind of just really focused on getting the money to drill these projects. So once we start getting active on the exploration and drilling side of things, which is going to happen here in 2024, then we will look at putting together some kind of a more uh, substantial 
uh, package that we can do with investors. And we're, we're going to kick around some different ideas. I mean, we could use Twitter spaces would be a great example of doing that. Um, and there's other venues, of course, that you can do that. Uh, Junior Mining Hub has some stuff they're working on on their website that we might be able to use for presentation wise where we use their maps and stuff. So there's a lot of uh, optionality out there. So it's really just seeing what's a good fit for us and what we think will get the word out to our investors the best way. Awesome. Well, I'll give you my pitch for our company's webinars later. <laughs> Why don't you walk me through internally your 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 right hand people? You know, you bring me into your advisors and your 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 staff and who you have to rely on and the value that they bring. Sure, I can do that. So we've got uh, Dave Bizendet. He's our CFO and director of the company. Uh, Dave's 20 years plus in the uh, management and in uh, the exchanges. So Dave keeps the accountants happy and the exchange happy. And uh, while I'm out here, you know, spreading the good word and talking to everybody, Dave makes sure that the back end of the office is heading in the right direction and the exchanges are all happy with us and the bookkeepers are all happy with us. So Dave's a real important part of our business because I'm, I'm busy doing my thing, which is really talking to investors, helping plan what we're going to do. And Dave keeps us all happy with the exchanges. And then we've got Lauren McCarthy and Noah Kamlavi, and uh, they, they help us with outreach and uh, they each have their own little sets of skills that we can lean on. Uh, Noah's great because he, he's a mining enthusiast. He thinks it's fun to go read financials and 43101 reports. So, you know, it's a nice guy to have around and bounce ideas off. And then our advisory board's made up of uh, Jody Drew and Doug McFall. Uh, I'm not sure if you're the, everyone's familiar, but uh, Jody's actually a pretty well-known guy. Uh, he's got a consulting firm that's uh, DG Consulting, and they do all the geology work for Pegasus Resources as well as Patriot Metals. So we've got a great resource here in Jody, just from his uh, knowledge in general, but also his uh, consulting firm, which is a, a very well-known geology firm here in Canada. So, And, of course, you know they're tied with Patriot Metals, which is uh, one of the best urea, uh, lithium deposits I think we'll ever find in Canada at this point. And then our Doug is another one. Uh, he's 30 years in the junior markets specifically in junior mining there's not much doug hasn't seen or uh not on top of doug stays up to date with all the goings-ons as far as regulatory goes and uh just the general goings-on inside the industry itself so we've got a really strong team behind me with this team i can pretty much find all the information i need that to make the right decisions for this company and I myself, I come from the oil and gas industry. I spent 20 years in oil and gas, and I was involved in things like project planning and management of crews, like the whole nine yards of anything to do with just getting work done on an oil and gas uh, project. So I'm taking all my skills that I learned in oil and gas as far as job planning and all that stuff, and I'm applying it to what we're doing here at Pegasus Resources. So overall, I think we've got a well-rounded team with the knowledge and the skills needed to move these projects forward. Okay, should we open it up to the Twitter X universe and questions? I did see some stuff come in. Also going to give a shout out to Triangle Investor. I did listen to part of his interview with you uh, earlier uh, when I was doing some of my due diligence, and I thought it was a good one. So shout oh, out yeah, to he's Triangle. A, he's a great guy. 
Um, yeah, do you want to take some questions now? Happily, yeah. All right, hold on a second here. Okay, so not in any specific order, but I did get one here. Okay, so what is Chris's salary? People love to know what you're making. Um, yeah, I do get that question from time to time. Um, For sure. Do you want to you want to tackle that one? Yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. It's it's all there in public information. My salary is ten thousand dollars a month, uh, but I haven't been pulling salary since uh, I came on. Um, we've really we did a small raise through the summer, and we took that raise and we put it into the company. So we put it into our projects. We put it into things that make value for investors. So the whole board's been not pulling money out of this company personally since we've come on. So we really just been putting the money into the ground. So I may have a $10,000 salary, but I haven't been seeing it. <laughs> we've been putting the money into the ground because that's what's important to us. We want this project to move forward. And so that's our focus. And of course, you know, eventually I'd like to get paid. But until that day, I just want Pegasus to be a success. And that's a great answer, man, honestly. And uh, have you, I'll, I'll just follow up with my own question. Uh, have you participated in any raises yourself? Yes. Like I said, I've been a shareholder in Pegasus since around 2019, 2020. So I've been buying shares as high as nine, uh, eight cents, which now, of course, with the rollback puts me at around 80, 90 cents. I've been buying shares as high as. So I now have uh, half a million shares and fully diluted, I'm just around a million shares. So with options and warrants, I'm around a million shares. I've been actively buying open market and I've participated in our last financing and will participate in our upcoming financing. Okay, yeah. So there was another question that was asking how many shares you own uh, and what percentage. So quick math, you said you're around a million. There's 25 million out. Um, well, 20, how many are? 20, 22 million fully diluted. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so on a non-fully diluted basis, we are about uh, nine, nine to 10% of the company is owned by insiders or sorry, management, not insiders. Okay. So management holds about 10% of the company. And I'm sure you got, you have some friends and family in there. Oh yeah. We've got friends and family in there. Like really, like I said, uh, if you count the, uh, the other 20, so we're 70% retail, 30% friends, family, insiders, and large shareholders. And with only 15.5 million shares out. So it's a, it's a fairly tight float. So uh, we think there's great upside potential. Okay. So Donald is asking what your biggest learning curve has been since you've taken on the role of CEO um, of a uranium company. That's a great question. I think the biggest learning curve was really just... Um, I didn't talk to a lot of brokers. Like, I mean, I was more of a, a retail focused guy. Like I said, I came from the oil and gas industry, so I'm not your run of the mill, you know, Bay street guy. Like I didn't grow up with, you know, doing stock trading and talking to all these brokers and stuff. So I think my biggest learning curve was just learning how to communicate with them clearly and in uh, a way that they understand. So, um, it's just, there's a whole side to it, like terminologies and stuff like that, that I needed to pick up. But mm -hmm. I've just been entre I've been an entrepreneurial spirit since the day I started working. I've always tried to aim towards one day running my own company or owning my own business. And I was successful. I landed here at Pegasus Resources as the CEO. So I guess that dream did come true for me. But uh, I think the, lear the biggest learning curve is just really communicating clearly with the uh, 
bigger uh, brokers and family offices. And uh, I think I'm coming along quite well, according to what they say to me, as far as feedback goes. So Charles is asking, it's kind of a difficult question to ask, but he wants to know sort of what, in your opinion, validates any of these projects that would be investable for, for someone? Well, let's go with Pine Channel. What validates Pine Channel for me is the historical works. Denison obviously saw some value there to be up there drilling these projects, doing all the basic groundwork just to get ready for a drill program. Like none of that was cheap work even back then. So I think for Pine Channel, the historical information really is indicated that there's a potential for some high-grade uranium there. So that's what we think validates that project. Uh, Mozzie Lake obviously has got a historical resource estimate. Uh, if we can bring that into compliance, that's a huge validation for Pegasus to have a compliant resource estimate. It might only be half a million pounds, but it's something we could grow off of uh, in the future. At least that has the potential to be a, a larger deposit with some work. And then as far as like the Energy Sands project go, again, great neighbors. They have uranium on their projects. We're a long trend of that same deposits. And we know that there was mining done on the property. So really, we have a property that's a past producing property. We just need to go in there and see what's there as far as size for uranium. But there should be some uranium there just based off all the indicators. And uh, so we think the projects validate themselves basically through the historical data. And it's going to be our job to go out there and do the work and really bring that data into the modern day uh, compliance. Thanks for that answer. So Corey's asking uh, for your opinion on the liquidity of the stock and how you feel about it. Yeah, liquidity. Well, look, we got a really tight float here. As soon as you start getting like 15 million shares outstanding, you're not going to see a lot of liquidity. It's just the nature of it. There's just the shares are in tight hands. You're going to have some shares popping out here and there's, you know, people's changes their mind or their feelings or take some profits or whatever the case may be. Uh, liquidity is something that's going to grow over time. Now, if you go back and look at Pegasus resources through the summer, our average daily trading volume was 8,000. And that's pretty low. But again, we were rolled back and we weren't seeing a lot of action through the summer. No one was. And of course, liquidity in general across the whole exchange is way down, yeah. way, way down. So what, we're, what we'll see here with Pegasus resources, like I said, we're at 8,000 average daily trading volume back through the summer. We're now over 40,000. So, I mean, that's a really big improvement as far as like, you know, it's a multiple of like four or 5% of growth in liquidity for the daily trading shares. Now, of course, as we do raises, that'll help add to the liquidity as the share count grows. So we're, we're kind of at the early days, so we don't expect to see a lot of liquidity. But that also means you're going to have a very volatile share price. So as a very small lot of shares can move the stock price up, or it could move the stock price down. So it's we're going to look volatile to a lot of investors right now just because of that low share count. But as we you know raise some money and more investors come into the project, that liquidity will get higher and higher as time goes on. It's just how the markets work. So I don't worry too much about liquidity at this point because really we don't expect to have much. We just don't have a lot of shares on the market to be traded. Yeah, that's something that you want to tackle moving forward. Um... What's the the valuation of the company right now? And and you did you say you have an open financing? 
Yeah. So we're currently our market cap is uh, two point five million, and we have a financing open where we're looking to raise six hundred forty thousand dollars of uh, non flow through and a million dollars of flow through. So that million dollars of flow through will be spent all in the Athabasca Basin, and that should be all spent by you know summer because right. we'll work Pine Channel and we'll work Mozzie Lake. Okay. And what's uh, what incentives are in that financing for if if anyone wants to come in? What's the price? So the hard dollar raise is at 16 cents and that gets you a two year full warrant at 20 cents. And then for the flow through, we're doing the flow through at 20 cents, a two year full warrant at 28 cents. So it's a very attractive financing. We priced it that way because we know the markets are not the most receptive to much of anything right now. So we we price this thing to be attractive to investors because at the end of the day, we just need to get out there and work these properties and the value will arrive, I think, because there's just great properties. And if we can work these properties, there's value there for investors. So we just want to get out there and work. Yeah. Is that a non-brokered private place? That's non-brokered. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And when did you announce that financing? Uh, November 10th. Okay. If anyone wants to reach out to you directly, um, where can they do that? You can email me at uh, uh, ctimmons, uh, ctimmons29 at gmail.com, which is also, po- uh, you can also email me at chris at pegasusresources.com. And you can always reach out to me with my cell phone or through Twitter if you want. Yeah. So Percy is asking, uh, in regards to experience, who's got the most experience on your board? And um, yeah, well, pretty much that's the question. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, it really depends on where you, what do you count as experience? Um, as far as like project planning and stuff, I've got over 20 years experience doing that. Uh, as far as Dave goes, he's over 20 years experience in the mark capital markets. So whether that's from, being managing the books or doing the exchange compliances to just general board work and decision making. So I think if you're really going to go for like, who's got the most experience, I'd have to kick that over to Doug and Jody, just because these guys have been in the industry for 30 plus years. And uh, they really just with 30 years experience. I mean, I, that's a pretty, uh, high level of uh, knowledge and uh, past experiences that we lean on. So I'd have to give the advisory board as the highest rating for experience. But like I said, me and Dave also have great experience and it just depends on how you uh, evaluate that experience, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's kind of an open-ended question. Okay. Where would you, uh, is there anything we haven't covered in, in the interview. Uh, again, if anyone has questions, you can bring them in still, but I, I, that's pretty much what I've got. Um, yeah. Where would you like to leave it off? And I'd totally just like to leave it off as uh, well, we've got three great projects here that are very prospective for uranium. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity for investors to uh, jump in here. We're really a untold story right now and that's what we're out doing right now is telling the story so i think as we get out and tell the story and introduce it to all the family offices and brokers and keep spreading the word on social media like we've been doing i think we'll see some uh, really exciting days ahead and like i said we've got great projects everyone i talk to loves our projects so it's just a matter of working them and we're here to work them we're going to get out there and work these projects so i think everyone just kind of you know stick around watch what we're doing and if you like it 
come on in and invest. Yeah. Well, and I kind of want to leave it off here. Like I challenge people to go out there and don't listen to me or, or, or Chris or anyone else have your own model on where the future is. And you need to answer this one question. What is going to be the scalable baseload energy source for the world? And if you, if you spend time answering that question, you will come up with your own model. And that's why I'm excited every single time I get a uranium uh, company on this, uh, on X or, or a webinar or, or a morning drive that I do, because in my opinion, I don't see any other uh, solution other than uranium. Um, but that's just me. That's not advice. So do your own research. Chris, thank you very much for doing this X space. I think it's a great story that you have coming from, from Twitter and, and becoming the CEO uh, of this company. I love Uranium. Hopefully I can work with you in the future. And uh, last words for you, my friend. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, Uranium is going to be an exciting story for probably a decade or more. So uh, do your own diligence. Take a look at what's going on in the markets and uh, have fun and enjoy your day. All right. Take care, everyone. See ya. Bye.